Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. This is the April 1st, 2020 edition of the Carolina Weather Group. We hope that you're doing well on this Wednesday evening, hoping, hoping that you and your family are safe and sound during these crazy times that we're experiencing. And that's kind of the topic of tonight. We're going to be talking about coronavirus, COVID-19, and weather. You know, we still have weather going on uh, during this uh, this uh, crazy time that we're experiencing throughout the country. And in fact, tonight, we're going to be talking to Ryan Vaughn, who was covering a EF3 tornado that struck in Jonesboro, Arkansas, uh, this past weekend. So uh, we're looking forward to that. We are streaming live right now on our many uh, streaming platforms. So if you'd like to interact with us tonight during the conversation, just drop a comment in the uh, Facebook Live or the Twitch or a Periscope link, and we will monitor those throughout the show. And uh, James, I'm going to toss it off to you because you uh, have been working from home for the past couple of weeks, and um, we're starting to see more and more people work from home. And so I know it's been a crazy time for you and everyone involved in, uh, in TV media. You know, it's been a very interesting time indeed, Scotty, because everyone has kind of moved very quickly, whether they liked it or not, a real fast into the cutting-edge technology of 2020. Everyone suddenly knows what Zoom conference is. It wasn't but three weeks ago when we would be booking guests for the show saying, hey, we're going to send you a link to a Zoom conference, and then had to proceed to explain what Zoom conference is. We do not have to do that anymore. Uh, with so many folks uh, using Zoom conference or similar products. So we're going to be talking uh, to Ryan here in just a moment about his experience this weekend with him and his team covering a very uh, severe and significant incident in Jonesboro, Arkansas. We also have Brad Panovich on with, with us tonight from WCNC Charlotte, who uh, is very comfortable in his home studio. You've seen his weather video blogs many a times, and now that is his TV space as well, too. Uh, and we're also going to be uh, talking with somebody here in Mecklenburg, County, uh, who does some uh, paramedic work about what this means, the coronavirus means for their line of work, too, because as Scotty mentioned, the weather is still continuing to happen. We had a line of storms roll through South Carolina yesterday, prompted numerous severe thunderstorm warnings down in the Charleston area. Luckily, we didn't have any tornado warnings to account of, despite having a tornado watch, but it was a much different story this past weekend in Arkansas. Let's bring in uh, Ryan. Uh, you were actually working from home and you had your other meteorologists back in the station. Just just bring everybody up to speed if they're not familiar with what took place this past weekend. Okay, so typically in a severe weather situation, uh, we would we would all be in the studio. Um, we were going into this, um, you know, we were low end severe weather threat. Uh, we knew tornadoes weren't out of the realm of possibility, uh, but we were kind of thinking gusty winds, and I, I think everybody, even the Storm Prediction Center. Kind of had uh, northern Illinois pegged for the hot spot. Well, tornado warning comes out for one of our southern counties. And we had already kind of discussed that, okay, in the in the interest of social distancing, and we were already kind of playing that, um, uh, that role already was already kind of unfolding. I said, well, we've got a solid system here. How about I go here and you guys stay back there and we wouldn't be there. Uh, and, and hopefully we wouldn't go into long form programming. And uh, so the tornado warning came out for Woodruff County a little bit after four o'clock. And um, at that point, um, you could draw a line and see that there was a chance that this was going to come into Jonesboro. We have uh, some video from your coverage. It's We're going to pop up here in the double box. Oh, uh, man. Uh, walk us through. This must be the moment that that tornadic cell started producing in Jonesboro, if I'm correct. 
Hold on one second. I just now lost. Uh, there we go. I'm back. I think. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, this is where it was producing here. So, what was going on? Zach Holder is in um, uh, front of the chroma key wall, and we had already had this point already had a pretty large tornado out of Jackson County. So we were watching this one pretty close, and uh, the mezzo was going right over town, and we really just started getting some indication that it was cycling. And uh, sure enough, we were concerned that it was going to, you know, if it cycled through and it produced a tornado, it would be right in the middle of Jonesboro. And you see what unfolds here. Now, you know, for Zach, you know, he he's uh, he's in his 20s. He hasn't uh, covered a, a ton of, you know, tornadic storms, especially like that in front of a weather camera. He did a spectacular Aaron Castleberry. If I'm not mistaken, I think that was his first severe weather event ever uh, covering uh, broadcast-wise. So um, it was uh, it was hard to not get emotional. I've lived here almost 20 years, and um, outside of a couple of years, I, I lived in Alabama. And to watch that go through the the town that you've you know forecast for and 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 covered for so many years, it was it was tough to kind of hold the emotions back on that one. I want to ask Ryan, you. I'll oh, go. Go ahead, uh, Ricky. Uh, I was going to say, talk about having to work with the delay and uh, the live view delay or the TVU delay, and being able to hear Zach and the folks in the studio at the same time. Yeah, that was tough. You know, we le I learned some lessons. Um, you know, we had the delay and, and, and stepping on each other and things like that was a little bit of an issue. Uh, because when you're in severe weather coverage, you, you speak in half sentences. You, you can be sitting there talking about, okay, guys, this tornado is coming for, um, and you'll stop, and you'll, you're thinking they're done, and you step in. And so there was a little bit of an issue there um, in the middle of that also. So while we're all uh, going through that, um, Southwest uh, Power Authority feeds Jonesboro and Perigold. So even though I was 19 miles to the north, um, when they started taking power hits, I started taking power hits. So I lost, uh, I lost programming. I, I lost what they were seeing. Um, and then, uh, also was losing access to max. So I, I had max one up in here. They were using max two, then they lost max two. Uh, so they needed access to max one. So after I lost programming, after I lost, uh, ability to have max, uh, and they needed it anyways, that is when, I grabbed my phone, grabbed my laptop, and, and that's when I went out chasing, uh, if you saw the coverage afterwards. Ryan, previous to this weekend, had you ever done live TV from home? Oh, uh, live television? Yet from home, yes. That past Thursday, we had done all shows. Uh, we're, we're, we were kind of dabbling. We're, we're going, okay, do we want to do this completely from home? Do we not? And so Thursday was a beautiful day. Zach was back at the studio, and so we did that. Uh, I went live from my backyard, and and it went great. Everything went great. And so that's kind of where we were going into this, going, okay, um, this could work. I will say there was another time about two years ago um, we had a just random tornado warning. No watch. Um, I, I don't. Even, I'm not even sure if we were in a, a, an outlook. Random tornado warning. Didn't produce a tornado, but. It was about two o'clock in the morning and master control calls. And of course my weather radio and everything's going off. And I told them, I said, I don't have time to make it to the station. Uh, so I pulled Max up in my office and I said, uh, hot up the phone. I'm controlling Max. I'll talk over it. And we did it then. So, uh, you know, I, I had done that one other time and no one really even knew then that, that, um, I was at home 
just talked over it, went through about 30 minutes of a tornado warning, and that was done. Hey, Ryan, um, looking at the, the weather outlook from last week, it looked like the severe weather was going to be maybe in Illinois area. How did you and your team go about preparing for this with, you know, trying to keep as minimum people in, in the studio? Uh, what was the preparation like for the days leading up to um, the tornado on Saturday? Well, you know, we were going into anytime we have uh, that we think there will be watches, warnings, or advisories. We mark that on the seven-day forecast as red, and we and we do certain things like uh, put uh, social media graphics out there specifically for social media. So we were ramping it up. We knew the possibility was there. Um, of course, you know, you, you look at it. If that had been over an open field, yeah, it would be a big deal, but not this big of a deal. Um, we knew the possibility was there for tornadoes. Um, but not enough to risk everybody being in the same studio together. If that makes any sense. Um, that morning, I can remember Zach, uh, we, we kind of have like a little group uh, chat going on with text messages. And I can remember that morning, Zach goes, uh, you know, I'm getting a little concerned about uh, the tornado threat on this also. So, you know, we, we knew it didn't sneak up on us, but it was, it was still kind of a low end deal. We put, um, a medium risk out a little bit farther down to the south uh, into southeast Missouri, uh, but it, it still didn't play out exactly like I think anybody uh, thought. I think one of the remarkable things about this was being able to show the images live. Talk about your camera network and how valuable being able to see that because I, I was watching it on radar in real time. I'll tell you what, if I didn't have that camera at the same time, I would have thought for sure it was producing it on the ground, but it, it wasn't yet. No, it wasn't. You know, I kind of thought that also when we um, <laughs> we have nine cameras, eight cameras. Uh, yeah, I think nine uh, cameras uh, across our viewing area. And that that goes back to that's a James Spann thing. I worked for two years down in uh, Montgomery, Alabama, and uh, of course, got to know all the stations down in that area. And, you know, James was really big on cameras back then. And it did just make sense. It's like, man, if you can get eyeballs in every single county, especially when you live in as flat of an area as we are in, um, it's it's going to be really hard for a tornado to sneak by us. Uh, so we have several cameras in Jonesboro. Uh, we have uh, some to the west down in Batesville. We've got some up here in Paragould. Uh, I say some, one uh, in Paragould, one up in Pocahontas, one in Walnut Ridge. We've got almost every county around us uh, covered. Uh, now I want after this, I want two or three more. Um, but I've always been a big fan of cameras. Uh, this is actually our second tornado in about a year that we've caught on camera. So, and the other one was heading right from my house also. So, Ryan, you talked a moment ago about the emotional impact of being able to see this tornado. Is that one of the roles that the Skycam network plays as opposed to just colorful imagery on radar? Well, I had so many people. Uh, one thing uh, that I that I always do is I go out to the damage path as, as soon as possible afterwards. And uh, that night and that next day, over and over again, people said, you know, man, we, we watched it and we, we knew it was serious. You know, you can say all day long until you're blue in the face, hey, this tornado is on the ground, this tornado is on the ground. You know, you can tell them, tell them, tell them, tell them, and they're still going to run out there and look at it. Um, but um showing it like that everybody was taking cover you know you're not you're not going to be out looking about for it 
you also, as you just mentioned, went down to look at that tornado path mm -hmm. after the storm. And you mentioned on James Spann's Weather Brains earlier in the week that that's one of the things you do. You are actually a community responder. Talk to me a little bit about the importance of having that yeah. dual role that you play as both a broadcast meteorologist and a community responder. Yeah, I, I'm part of the uh, rescue squad uh, here in the county that I'm in. So uh, if you if you listen to the coverage, at one point I turn on the radio and I'm trying to communicate to our guys uh, and emergency management and dispatch in this area. Um, and then and then I was I was thinking as we were driving down there, my son was going with me, and uh, he said, "Are you going to put your turnouts on when you get down there?" And then turnouts, if you're not familiar with that, that's all of your gear that that you put on when you start to get in the rescue and extrication uh, for vehicles or, or rescue of tornadoes and I really for the first time was thinking I don't know I, I don't know what I'm doing I, am I getting down here and I'm, I'm helping with rescue am I getting down here and telling the story of of the of the uh, tornado aftermath am I doing a little bit of both um, so I, I was confused it was one of those first times where I, I was thinking to myself what are we going to be doing when we get down here and of course um, our news folks um, were, were already on the scene Zach and um, and Castleberry were continuing the coverage from a weather side of uh, point of view. And I thought I really did. I mean, you look at that. I thought we were going to be pulling dead bodies out all night and, um, and we weren't. So. We had uh, Damon Lane from KOCO in Oklahoma city on our show two years ago. And he talked mm -hmm. to us about what it was like one day to be on television at the studio tracking a storm as he knew it was coming into his neighborhood. What was it mm -hmm. like to be home with your family within earshot and having a tornado in your community while <laughs> also trying to be a broadcast? Well, you know, a lot of people have laughed about hearing uh, the snapping. You know, I was going, and what I was doing, I was trying not to go, Hey, Jennifer, you know, yell into the other room or, Hey, you know, George and Avery and Kate get downstairs. You know, I was trying not to do the, the, you know, yelling at your family, you know, get the dog out of here, get the dog downstairs, that thing. So I was kind of meaning get in here so I can, you know, lip sync to your, you know, and, and so, uh, Jennifer comes in here and I, I said, you know, get downstairs, get downstairs, get downstairs. And I point over at the television and I wasn't sure if they were watching it in there. And I judging by my wife's eyes, I don't think they were. And she looks over at the television and, and by that point it was tearing stuff up and, um, and they moved real fast and went down there. But, you know, we're, we've, our wives do this, you know, w w without us here all the time, you know, in severe weather, um, you know, they get tornado warnings here and her job is already to, to, to get all the kids and pets and go downstairs so I don't really know what I was doing, you know, saying, Hey, you know, like I'm going to step in and, and be the leader of this because they're, they're already, they've done this in the past. And so I, I realized that after the fact, I'm like, you don't need me to tell you to go downstairs. You probably already knew, but, um, it was wild. And, and then when I was leaving here, we were having flash flooding at, at in our neighborhood. Um, and it was kind of wild, but I knew that they had everything under control here and, uh, fortunately I've got uh, a 17 year old that, uh, can handle things here. So I felt comfortable leaving, um, in the midst of that also, once I knew it was going east of us.
Uh, Ryan, the tornado EF3, 140 miles per hour winds. I think this happened right around the five o'clock time frame. Uh, on a normal Saturday night, people would be out at restaurants, uh, shopping. Mm. Uh, but with the coronavirus uh, going on, thankfully, uh, unfortunately, we had 22 injuries. But I, I feel like this could have been a whole lot worse if, if we wasn't going through uh, COVID-19. Oh, this was this would have been we would have been we would have been pulling bodies out. Um, you know, of those 22 injuries, only two of those were hospitalized. So you got to think of a large part of those were probably just scratched up arms and and, and things like that. Um, but, you know, I just think of, I had just left the mall uh, about two hours earlier. We went and picked up a cake right beside the mall, right, right where it hit. And I can remember going by Best Buy. My wife and I were even talking about it. We were like, wow, look at that. They've got a tent out front. And what they were doing is, uh, uh, she goes, yeah, I bet they're, you know, you pull up and you say what you need and they run in and get it and check you out. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's, that's kind of cool that they're still open. We even commented, talked about it before we were heading home. And um, so you had, you know, just a handful of workers in the mall. The rest of the mall was closed. So if you look at the aerials, I mean, it, it just, uh, just tore up the mall. Uh, JC Penney, the roof completely ripped off. And, and, and you really can't tell until you look at the aerials, how messed up JC Penney was and Dillard's ripped out uh, a Saturday at five o'clock. All those places would have been busy. You think of uh, Cheddar's. I think that's a national chain. Um, that, that you guys may know about, but uh, Cheddar's is a restaurant that would have been completely packed uh, with a probably about an hour wait with people sitting all around it uh, on a normal Saturday at five o'clock. Instead, they've had a couple of workers that were cooking to-go orders. You had Academy Sports. Uh, you had uh, several rest- restaurants through there. And it also went through, and I'm going to check the numbers on this, but I, I venture to say the busiest intersection in Jonesboro, Arkansas, if not um, the top three, I mean, definitely. So you just had an extremely populated area that, um, if this had hit on a normal Saturday night where people aren't, um, staying inside, uh, it would have been very bad. You know, Ryan, you've had a crack at this before, uh, back in the day when you had that other situation where you were home and you had to broadcast real quick, um, and you've prepared some and everyone's prepared, but Last weekend was something no one has ever experienced before, and certainly uh, to a greater greater degree than the last tornado that you covered from home. Uh, what did you all learn from that? Well, I learned, you know, the power hits. Uh, for one thing, um, I learned that we need an ups system even here at the house if we're going to do that. I learned also that I want an over-the-air antenna, which I've already gotten now. But more than likely, even doing all of that, um, you know, th- there's going to come a time where – um, we just all need to be in. I mean, I know we're trying to take the steps to uh, be socially distant and things like that. Um, but I think if we have another severe weather event like this, we probably just all need to be in studio. Ryan, talking about the coronavirus stuff for a second, um, what challenges did that present after the tornado with rescue crews, uh, with the recovery aspect and things like that? You know, the scary part of it is, and it's really part of the reason why I decide that, uh, that I need to start broadcasting from home is that everybody forgot about it. You know, so Saturday night, um, you know, we're sitting there handing off microphones to each other. We're, uh, six inches away from the mayor talking to him and the police chief. And, uh, we're just helping people. Uh, it was like, it, it, there was no virus. Um, late that night, we start thinking about it a little bit and, um, 
and, and start thinking of, okay, we need to stay a little farther apart. We need, you know, things like that. And then the next day you get out and you get uh, into the damage and you start helping people and you start talking to people and, and everybody's just hugging each other and just happy that everybody's alive. And, um, you know, I had one lady come up and, 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 you know, just give me a hug. And it was like, well, I'm not going to sit there and say, no, 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 coronavirus. Um, you're not going to say, well, I'm not going to go in this person's home and help them clean up because of the coronavirus. But later in the day, everybody just kind of starts thinking, well, this could be really bad. We've got people coming in from out of state. We've got people that uh, are older. We've got, uh, you know, just everything started to come around to where uh, you slowly started seeing people taking more precautions. You slowly started, uh, people were elbow bumping instead of uh, hugging and crying and things. Um, they, I did notice, uh, in fact, Tim Marshall, uh, I met up with him at uh, the tire store and uh, they, that's the first time that I saw they were separating out the cleanup and rescue into groups of 10 and they were telling all of them to stay six feet apart. So um, it took a while, um, but for a, for a period, everyone forgot it. Um, it. As I said, I'm on the rescue squad and, you know, we uh, three weeks back were handed masks and we were supposed to be uh, wearing masks and responding. Well, I wasn't, rescuing people at that point so i was just like oh you know i'm not doing that so i yeah i don't have to follow any 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 rules because i'm not you know doing that side of it and i'm back on the media side of it but um you know i look back and i'm like man i hope 10 or 14 days from now we're not looking at this going we all got a little too close so and and, you know that's a it'll be very interesting to see how that goes. And you're right. It is weird. I mean, even me personally forecasting on a day-to-day basis, I've kind of had to tell myself, Hey, this is still important, but it feels less important on a day-to-day basis with everything going on. So I want to bring in Corbin here real quick to kind of talk about maybe something that you guys experienced too, Ryan. And it was trying to shelter people during severe weather and with the whole coronavirus situation going around and Corbin, you've kind of worked in the emergency management field a little bit. Talk about what scenarios would play out and what problems play out with sheltering people during severe weather events while this virus is going around. So obviously that's one of the things that we really want to look into. Um, There's sheltering in general is is never a good situation per se, um, especially in severe weather events. And we're all very aware that, you know, life goes on, even though the coronavirus is our main focus right now. Um, So one of the main things, obviously, is social distancing. There are some guidelines out um, from FEMA, um, as well as DHS or DHHS that say, you know, basically, each person needs anywhere from about 50 to 80 square feet. So that's going to limit how many people we can put in a building um, and create shelter for. And especially if we're looking, you know, six feet apart, so we don't, you know, sneeze and cough on each other to, to limit the coronavirus uh, spread at this point. So that's some of the things we're thinking about and we're actively working through um, in the emergency operations center. I think in North Carolina currently at the last count, there are 46 op- emergency operations centers active. So it's definitely something that's on the forefront of our mind. What about masks and stuff like that? Has that been given any thought? I know CDC has been reconsidering some of their thoughts and Los Angeles tonight recommended their citizens wear masks when going out and about. Is, is there any benefit to that? Is there any downside to that? So that's obviously another one of the hot topics from the CDC. The, it's basically, it's one of those things changing every 12 hours. Um, 
for emergency responders, the protocols in North Carolina just changed to where we were only wearing masks on suspected COVID-19 patients. Now we're wearing masks on every patient encounter. Um, and now, you know, you're starting to see some direction from the CDC and from Pence's, um, from Vice President Pence's coronavirus task force that may say different. So there's conflicting stuff out there right now, but just for the everyday person wearing a mask all day long doesn't seem to have an effect yet. Um, but we'll, we'll see what the, what the data shows as the days come. Corbin, we learned today that a paramedic with medic tested positive for coronavirus. You mentioned a minute ago that more people might be wearing masks as they go out and tend to emergency responses. Did that decision to have everyone wearing masks as they're responding to calls come as a result of that positive coronavirus case or more in line with the CDC updated guidelines? So just to clarify one thing, I'm a paramedic relief supervisor in Cabarrus County, but I did see the news about a uh, medics um, case in Mecklenburg County as well. And that was actually put out yesterday by the North Carolina Office of OEMS prior to, I'm assuming that case testing positive, but got to remember, so an N95 is to protect the provider. A surgical mask also protects the provider, but it's better to kind of put on the patient um, because it's going to prevent them from spreading their germs, just like a surgeon um, in surgery. Patty, I think you had uh, something. Yeah, I was wanting to um, to ask Corbin, I'll ask you and Ryan both. Uh, Ryan, you live in Tornado Alley per se, the Arkansas area kind of prone to tornadoes, especially this time of the year. As uh, the CDC and, and as we hear about the uh, the doctors are talking about, we're going to continue to kind of see that spike happen over the next two, three, four weeks. Uh, do you think this will become more of a concern, Ryan? When you're talking to your folks, um, I know uh, I'm not sure about your particular area, but I know places like uh, Kansas and Oklahoma they have these public storm shelters. Uh, how do you think uh, the uh, I don't want to say you guys have fear of tornadoes because you're more used to them than we are here in the Carolinas, but how do you think preparing for severe weather days as well as dealing with the coronavirus, how, how do you think like that's going to, the psyche is going to play on people out in your area, Ryan? That's a great question because we have had some of the public um, shelters closed and uh, because a lot of them are, you know, in Bates, some of them are in basements of uh, hospitals and stuff. And, and you know, <laughs> you say we're used to them. Saturday night has has scared a lot of people, and the storm anxiety is going to be really, really high. Um, and I don't really know how that's going to go. Um, you know, as far as um, as far as public uh, uh, shelters, even some that are open, um, it'll be interesting to see. Or even you know, there, there's a lot of places where. Um, you know, like our house, you know, we have a basement here. Uh, not everyone around us has basements. So we've always just, you know, Hey, come on over, you know, take shelter. Um, you know, will we all continue to do that? You know, I think in a, in a tornadic situation, I, I think you throw it out. I, I know that's, that may not be the right answer. And I'm sure my, my doctor friends may say, oh, I don't know, but I don't know. Corbin to you, you guys, um, are dealing with this, the COVID-19. Uh, you also, we're getting into the Carolina severe weather season where maybe not as many tornadoes, but we still have those threat of severe storms. 
uh, and you're trying to message the threat of severe weather, but also trying to communicate about the COVID-19. So how are you guys in the emergency management spectrum are, are dealing with the preparation of severe weather and dealing with the ongoing virus? So one of the things we have set up in Mecklenburg County, um, the Emergency Operations Center there, is we have a decision support services line set up with the National Weather Service, um, which we set up in all like of our special events and things like that. We do have the ability to have the National Weather Service in the EOC with us, um, just a phone call away, a request away. But it's something that our Joint Information <laughs> Center that deals with all the public information is looking at as well as as we progress into our summer season, our you know storm season per se. We're going to start messaging, obviously, you know, coronavirus, COVID-19, but also our severe weather messages as well. Um, before the coronavirus hit, we did participate in the uh, nationwide tornado drill day um, at fire headquarters and everything like that. So we're still trying to do our normal stuff as well as focus on COVID. Let's bring in uh, Brad Panovich, who is a broadcast man at WCNC in Charlotte. Uh, Brad, if you were to go to air tomorrow for a tornadic situation, do you have something in mind that you would tell people in the event they either needed to leave a manufactured home to go to a sturdy shelter or even afterwards if their homes were damaged? You know, I, I, I thought it was interesting. I read the uh, press release that the, uh, I think the governor of Kansas sent out, um, I think it was yesterday or today, um, basically saying, you know, you got to prioritize the threat. So if a tornado is coming, that's your most immediate threat. So you need to seek shelter. But if you are going to seek shelter in a community setting, try to do the social distancing the best you can. But, um, you know, it, it, it's one of those things. If the if there's a train coming at you, you get out of the train, out of the way of the train first, okay? And then you worry about all these other things secondary. So I think that the, what I would tell people is, yeah, you know, do the best you can, but please avoid the tornado because that's the most immediate threat and most likely going to cause you your life. Um, but I was glad to see um, Ryan's work, which was spectacular because it kind of gave me a little relief that, hey, we could do this remotely uh, from a broadcast standpoint as well. But just like Ryan, I think if we knew a couple of days ahead of time that we might have a moderate threat day, that we probably are going to send one of us into the studio, likely me, um, and we'll keep everybody else out of there. But the fact that we can do this remotely with somebody in studio is great. The whole reason I had this monitor behind me was I was thinking ahead, like if I have to track storms at home, I wanted some kind of graphic behind me where I could be in front of it. Um, so I think that potential is there as well. But it's the first time in a long time, you know, as a meteorologist, I'm like, I hope we have a super quiet spring. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah. I do not want to have the added uh, worries of severe weather. And I I've already been thinking about hurricane season as well. I don't want to have to deal with any hurricanes. I just want it to be quiet because I think it's the last pe thing people need to worry about right now. But we know, I mean, it's April. Uh, for us, April's the peak of, hur uh, of, of severe weather season. Hurricane season's around the corner. So at some point in the next couple months, uh, we're going to be dealing with severe weather and coronavirus at the same time. And um, hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll be a little more prepared by then. You know, also think about guys through all this is I wonder what the viewership numbers are. And I wonder what the connected people numbers are. Are people using Netflix more? Are people watching these streaming services more? 
and maybe not watching actual television, my cable box will override with the EAS if something happens, but you know, Netflix and place things like that won't. So it'll be interesting to see if, you know, more people pay attention, less people pay attention. You're not at work. So maybe you're more connected. Well, you know, it's a good point, Ricky, but I think one of the thing, what happened in Jonesboro is a good example. I think the fact that everybody's in a home already is a good start. I mean, at least they're there. Um, one of the things that I love what Ryan did during this event was, you know, tell people to call people. I mean, the thing is, as a broadcast meteorologist, you can never assume everyone's watching you. They're not. So, but you can connect other people to the people that are watching you by telling them to call people, DM them, text them, do whatever, amplify your message, and that will wake people up and, and get them, you know, away from Netflix and maybe flip on the, the broadcast network. But this is where digital and social media is really important to us as broadcast meds. It's a way for us to reach people when they're not watching us. And so hopefully they'll flip us around. The thing I worry about, Ricky, honestly, is that, and we've already seen this, our, our internet and digital systems overwhelmed with so many people at home? Um, is Are the WIAs going to be bogged down? Are the cell networks going to be clogged up? Are we going to be able to push out this information because there's so many people using all this bandwidth right now? Yep, good point. Uh, James, I think you had uh, something. To yeah, say. I had a question for Ryan. And, you know, so often in interviews, we end the interview by saying, what else did you want to share? What did, uh, <laughs> what did we not ask you? And um, while that's exactly what I want to post to you now because we are trying to think of everything, but inevitably we're not. And unfortunately you had a situation where you've now experienced one of these scenarios that we're still fearing. So let me ask you, what did you learn that we're not even thinking of? Well, you know, two things. Um, this, this is, wasn't my first time to have a tornado in front of us on live television, but it was, it was the most populated. And you just have to remind yourself to keep your emotions in check. It's, um, it's tough. And you can say it a million times, oh, oh, I would, I would. But you really have to keep, you know, stay calm because it's going to continue moving forward. Um, and, and so that's one thing that, you know, for every broadcaster, as Brad said, um, telling people to call people. And that was huge. There was a lot of people that nobody, I didn't run into anyone that said they didn't know it was coming. It was either I was watching you guys, your app went off, or my mother or sister or, or whoever called me and said it was coming. Uh, so nobody knew it wasn't coming, but you got, you got to spread out the tentacles and get everybody working, on, uh, working for you, more or less. But from the, from the you know, uh, side of, of this whole new thing with social distancing and everything is in the cleanup process, uh, even though we're all wanting to hug each other for all being alive and, and making it through it, uh, we just got to be smart through this whole thing. Corbin, what about you guys from a, an emergency response paramedic scenario in your experience? Do you think if we got into a weather situation, the response might look slightly different or the advice coming out from officials to the public might look slightly different? It may look slightly different, but obviously we're going to prioritize life and safety first before everything. So everything we do is is to save life. Um, and if that means, you know, that we have to put people at risk of getting COVID-19, then that's probably something we're going to do um, in that situation. Whereas if it's a sheltering situation, it's a little different. We can, you know, open more shelters per se for less people. Instead of a shelter, we put 300 people in. We may just put 100 people in and then open 
open two additional shelters, something to that effect. So it's something that, you know, it's taken into consideration, but ultimately that life safety is the priority of every first response agency out there. Yeah, it's, it's certainly a lot to weigh. Brad mentioned it a minute ago in an analogy with the train, and Ryan, you mentioned it as well, too, in that, you know, in some sort of silver lining, not having people out at the restaurants and the malls and the supermarkets may have done you guys some good. It was. It was a, it was a it, that, that is a huge lifesaver, um, not having the people on the road. We still have people on the roads, but uh, not having uh, large, large numbers of people out there was uh, saved lives. What other um, agencies, you know, we, you know, we, we're talking a lot about weather and, and medical uh, and first response, but, you know, the hospital systems as well, too, I think could be a concern. Um, Brad, what else is on what's on your mind, I guess, when you think of this strain on the entire system? Well, you know, when you have so many people in the healthcare, um, emergency management, you know, uh, everybody working on this COVID-19 um, pandemic, if we have a mass casualty event or some kind of huge, you worry about how the resources are stretched so thin already. And I, I even think about it from a health standpoint, it's like, this is not the time to have to have a broken arm or leg because <laughs> you are not a priority at the hospital when you go in there. Um, and in fact, going to the hospital puts you at more risk <laughs> than, you know, treating yourself maybe outside of the hospital. So, um, that's what I worry about. If we have a big event in a populated area, and I'm sure that's what Ryan was worried about on Saturdays, like, you know, this thing's plowing through his main metro. It's like, man, how are we going to handle this with all this other stuff going on? So I think that's a big concern. And that's why I think just people in general have to be very cautious over the next couple of months. We don't need to have unneeded visits to the ER for mm -hmm. things that, you know, we could prevent. Like, I've even talked to my kids like, hey, let's not jump out of the tree, okay, for the next <laughs> month or so. Uh, let's not try to jump the bike over the rock because we're probably not going to be able to get into the ER. So from a weather safety standpoint, don't take that added risk. If there's lightning outside, let's just go inside. We don't need someone to get hit. If there's severe weather, let's be overly precautious and safe in this situation because we don't want to have to go to the, the, the hospital or the ER in this situation when they have a whole mess of another concern to worry about right now. Yeah, absolutely. And it, I think the trick there is going to be getting people to maintain that attitude for a prolonged period of time. Uh, Scotty read an interesting article today, and I'm going to go to him in a second to summarize talking about weather data and observation. And I feel like now is a good time to bring it in because we're talking about the strain on the response system, but also the strain on that data system. Going back to what Brad was talking about, but could the systems be overwhelmed, uh, the emergency alert systems or even the data observations? Uh, Scotty, that was something that you were reading about today, right? Yeah, so the World Meteorological Organization, the WMO, came out with an article today talking about COVID-19 and how it could affect some of our weather modeling, weather forecasting. Uh, I can maybe toss this to Brad here in a little bit, and, and Ryan, maybe they can tell you a little bit more than I can. Uh, but basically, there's all kinds of observations. You know, we run satellite radars, if you're familiar with the Carolinas. It seems like one of our radars is always down. And so it takes, it takes people to go out and fix those. And with the strain... And the social distancing, the, the folks may not be there to get that. Uh, there's also another concern with um, the airplanes that are taking off, just everyday flights. Uh, a lot of these uh, airplane companies have weather observations on them. They send temperature, humidity levels, wind speed, wind direction, and all that's kind of fed into our, our systems. And 
kind of help us with our weather modeling and our weather forecasting. So with the, uh, the, the less flights that are going out right now, uh, with people not traveling from, from COVID-19, uh, and just the strain on, on the, the, the staff to get out and fix these, uh, these instruments that we use every day in the weather community, uh, we could start to see some concerns with that as we get longer and longer into this uh, COVID-19. Uh, Brad, I know you, you love to talk about weather models and how we get all that data in. I know you, you've uh, actually done some weather school talks about that, which we'll talk about in just a little bit. But uh, are, can you kind of tell the public a little bit about how we could start to see um, more inaccurate weather data as, as we get through this uh, process? Yeah, so I actually posted some graphs the other day. Um, this is called what we refer to as uh, AMDARB data. It's basically aircraft data. And I, I'm going to try to share my screen here. I don't know if this is going to work, but we'll try to do this. Um, if you guys can see my screen. Oh, maybe it's not going to share. I'm going to share it here, hopefully. Not yet. Otherwise, is there like is it something you tweeted? I can double No, box. it's uh, – let me see if I can bring it up. Eh, it won't let me share it. Um, but what it was is a chart basically showing um, the lack of uh, upper air OBS from aircraft. People don't realize that every commercial aircraft that takes off and lands collects, you know, data for us. And so what has happened is that we have actually, let me see if I can share it. There we go. You guys see us? Yeah, yeah, we got it. So what you're looking at here is I made it a little bigger. This is the GFS model. And that red line is the drop in observations from aircraft going into the GFS model. You can see pre-COVID, which is earlier in the month, we were getting about 15 to 18,000 observations into the 12Z GFS. Um, as of this morning's GFS, that is down to like 2,000. I mean, that is just a tremendous drop. And the best way I can explain this to people that um, have seen hurricane coverage, you may have seen me talk about how um, we often like to get the plane out in the system so that we can get better data for the models. Well, this is what these planes are doing. When we have that lack of upper air data, um, some of the, the accuracy and the guidance can drop by 20% or so. And it's just not the US, that's just US data. That does include European data, Asian data. I mean, and that article you're referring to, Scotty, uh, all those aircraft, I was amazed how much some of the European airlines uh, added to this, it was crazy the drop in upper air observation. So this is going to be a real task that we're going to have to watch and see how much this impacts severe weather. Day-to-day -day weather, it might not have an immediate impact on us, but I think for high impact events like severe weather outbreaks, tornadoes, flooding, this might have a pretty significant impact because the difference between something being 20% more intense or less intense is pretty significant in the weather world. Brad, do you think it would impact high-res models more or models like the global forecast system? It seems like it'd be more the global forecast because the upper air data is really key for, you know, um, big long, you know, long wave troughs and ridges. You're looking at long wave pattern. I think the CAMS models are going to do fine. Thank goodness we have the GOES 16 and 17 sounder data. And now we have the polar orbiting data. Um, the only problem is you need clear skies for good sounding data from the polar orbiters, but that sounding data, you know, back um, after 9-11, we saw a similar drop in this aircraft data, but we didn't have the satellite data that we have now. So I think the satellite data is actually offsetting some of the issues, but this is gonna be a much longer period of time that we'll start missing this data. It's only been, let's see, about two weeks now. I think we start getting three, four weeks, and now you're the long wave pattern across the whole globe will be totally impacted by this lack of upper air data. 
Well, you've been teaching us some stuff now, and I think James, part three of our episode tonight was about teaching folks about weather. Do we want to transition over to that? Sure, sure thing. Um, real fast, let me ask Ryan one last question, and then we'll, we'll certainly go to that, and I appreciate the transition. Did you guys, Ryan, have any issue with observations uh, during or in the aftermath of your storms with everything going on coronavirus-related? Uh, you talking about from uh, from weather observations? Yeah, we Jonesboro Airport took a direct hit, and um, there, there's going to be some interesting things come out of that because KJBR did take a direct hit. You can go back and look at the data and see the winds backing as it was coming in, and uh, and the interesting thing is, um, it looks like power was knocked out. It looks like uh, uh, the altimeter was knocked out, but was in kind of a separate. Uh, area from uh, the actual ASOS. So uh, we probably, like you said, with uh, with the weather service being stretched thin and, and social distancing and stuff, we probably won't have uh, observations from Jonesboro for quite a while. And it's, it, that's interesting. And, and I think that's going to play into this bigger picture as, as we're just trying to use whatever we've got available and everyone's trying to do their best and safely to restore all of this. Uh, as Ricky mentioned, I know Brad Panovich here at WCNC has started to do some at-home weather classes. Brad, uh, how did this come about? Why is it an important thing with so many kids at home that you guys saw uh, a void to fill? Well, yeah, Ryan could speak to this as well. You know, we do a ton of school talks um, throughout the year. I think last year I added up and I, I thought I did a lot last year. I did 76 last year. Um, I know some folks like our good friend Ed Piotrowski down in Myrtle Beach. I think he does like 200 a year. I mean, <laughs> it's a crazy amount. Um, and so initially when this happened and all the kids were stuck at home, I thought, man, I had to cancel a bunch of my school talks. Um, I do a one hour presentation where I go out and I had a ton scheduled in the spring uh, for second and fifth graders here in North Carolina, which is weather has is part of the curriculum in those courses. And so what I did the first couple days we were out, I decided, you know what, I'm just going to do my one hour presentation at home and I'm going to stream it. And I did, I did it with my kids and it did pretty well. And then uh, my general manager in the station said, Hey, let's, let's do this every day at one o'clock. I'm like every day. I was like an hour. They're like, no, no, we're going to do like, you know, small one topic at a time let's break that hour thing down to one topic and we'll do it every single day and so i got the west the rest of my weather team involved um and it's actually it's put another thing on my plate but i enjoyed i mean i produced the thing from home completely um i do it all out of this computer right now that's in front of me and we send it out every day at one and on youtube twitch periscope facebook um our app and our website and the cool thing is our youtube page you know we have a playlist built that james put together that archives all these. So if kids miss them or teachers miss them, they can go back and watch them again. And it's been a lot of fun. Um, we'll, we'll, I think we created a monster though. I have a bad feeling. Um, when sales starts asking questions about it, I'm like, uh-oh, <laughs> you know, what did we do here? Um, so we've already had I know, that inquiry. I know nothing about yeah. this. <laughs> yeah, so you're like, uh-oh, what did we do? Now <laughs> it's gonna have a sponsor and we're gonna have to do this every day for the rest of our lives. Um, so, but I think it's really important because the cool thing about weather, I think, I mean, I, I'm a weather geek. We're all weather geeks, right? We love it. But to me, it's one of the few sciences for a kid. It's just not something in a textbook. You can teach it to them and they can immediately go outside and apply the principles of atmospheric science to what they actually see every day. So for a lot of kids, this is their first real science that they see because a lot of times, you know, physics and chemistry just looks like something in a book, but atmospheric science is actually something they can see, touch and feel. So uh, I think it has a real big impact on them. And in these tough times, it's actually been kind of a nice 
thing to be able to do and have the kids like tweet pictures at me of them in front of their TV, watching it on YouTube or watching it. The, the funny thing I'll say, the Twitch stuff has been great. I've had so many kids on Twitch reach out to me who, you know, don't normally watch the weather. Like, yeah, hey, this is pretty cool. You know, what games do you play? You know, so it's like, you know, everyone wants to like now me, wants me to game with them online and maybe me and my son will, will, will team up and we'll get in there and, and, and get a server going and we'll start playing some games with some people online. But last, it's last been week. fun. Last week we played one of the virtual storm chasing games oh, on our Twitch. Exactly. Yeah, I, 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 I'm really. Like, I think that'd be fun. I would like to play like NBA 2K with like some other anchors at the other stations. I think that'd be cool to have a little like tournament in the market. Broadcast Met iRacing. What's that? Broadcast Met iRacing. Yeah, or something. You know, I think that would be cool. I think viewers would eat that up. We could stream it online. It would be great. <laughs> You're giving those sales folks some more ideas. We'll get our sports <laughs> guys to do commentary. It would be awesome. <laughs> uh, Corbett, I have one question for you before we kind of wrap up. As Brad was talking about, uh, he does a lot of hands-on things with students. You guys in emergency management, you, you guys do the same thing. So has this kind of affected you all with uh, your outreach to uh, to the public? Yes, it's affected our outreach substantially. Um, we're not really doing much face-to-face right now. Um You'll notice if you go to like the Sharmac EM, um, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter account, you'll see you start seeing some videos pop up from the Emergency Operations Center and areas like that uh, where we're trying to do some education, but just obviously not face to face like we normally do. I think last year we did anywhere between 30 and 50 face to face talks with everywhere from um, school age kids to older adults to talk about emergency preparedness. So, it's definitely affected that, and uh, we're seeing that effect, I think, just across about every industry at this point. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that in terms of fire prevention and first aid trainings, and that would be school-age kids. But do you guys also – would you normally be doing office visits? Is that something that is done, too, for, for like professionals and office parks? So we have a, a public information officer, and she goes out and does a lot of talks. Um, one of the most recent age groups has been – um, like older folks in not retirement communities, but maybe apartment complexes over the age of 50 to talk about emergency preparedness and what they can do um, just in, in a general emergency, a weather event, you know, having 72 hours worth of supplies on hand, um, just general things like that. Let's not even talk about supplies because we know those are, those are scarce right now. Um, uh, but James, uh, one thing I want to do before we close out, I do want to uh, bring on uh, Dan Whitaker. You guys may have seen him pop up from time to time on our show tonight. Uh, Dan is our newest panelist here with the Carolina Weather Group. So Dan, uh, uh, for those who uh, are watching tonight, how, why, why don't you uh, introduce yourself to everyone? Hey, thanks, Scotty. Um, yeah, so I uh, have been involved with weather as a kind of weather geek and weather follower since 2008. Um, and have really, uh, I, I, I'm strong on the uh, storm observation, visual, visual storm aspects, um, storm spotting, storm chasing. Um, I'm kind of the in the field, in the storm uh, type of guy. So um, nice to be able to kind of join everybody and, and represent that angle when I can. Um, and definitely great listening to all the different kind of uh, pieces to uh, the conversation night. Um, honestly, I, I have kind of one thought, you know, that kind of reaches out to a lot of the different things that 
were being talked about uh, from tonight, which is, you know, as a person who enjoys um, the the spectacle of nature and following everything from um, nice day cumulus clouds to supercells in the Midwest. Um, for those who want to experience more outdoor weather during this time when when we we want to travel less and we want to do more staying at home, um, short of you know tuning into Brad Panovich's uh, weather lessons to get some real world world observation. Uh, is there a way that anyone wants to kind of speak to that would be a good way for people to do that right now. Definitely so, Dan. Uh, and we are happy to have you on the team and can't wait. Well, maybe we can't wait till hurricane season, but <laughs> we can't wait to see, uh, to see your footage out there. Um, Evan, I wanted to bring you, uh, uh, I know you had something you want to mention, but you also did a little chasing of uh, yourself today, but not storm chasing. Yeah, I do my little cheesy snow chasing. Um, it's really not nearly as complex as the stuff that Dan does. Um, but as long as you drive high enough off, high enough, high enough up on a mountain, you'll eventually run into snow. Um, so I did. I went up to Craggy Gardens today. Um, the parkway was closed at about forty nine hundred feet, but I ended up running the rest of the way up to Craggy Pinnacle at fifty nine hundred. Uh, and it was beautiful. About three inches of snow up there. Real windy. Uh, I can. I'll share a picture since I can see James. Yearning and trying to share uh, a webcam. For, I was trying. Yeah. So then that's what it looked like up on Craggy, right near the Craggy Pinnacle Tunnel. Uh, it was real pretty. Uh, but you're right, Scotty. The one other thing I wanted to mention tonight before we close is that we've talked about a lot of the challenges that have been presented to us over the last couple of weeks as we suddenly get thrown into this new coronavirus uh, situation. But there are some opportunities um, and some good things. If Melissa Griffin were here um, from the South Carolina, climate office, she would be talking about Coco Ross. Uh, I know we just finished up March Madness, but this is an excellent opportunity for people to be joining Coco Ross uh, and submitting uh, precipitation reports every day uh, because, I mean, everyone's got to stay at home, right? So why not get up at 8 a.m. for work or school and check the rain gauge? Um, so she would want us to mention that. Uh, and just because it's not March doesn't mean we can't do it, but go join Coco Ross. We'll tweet out a link later tonight. That sounds good. That's a great, great point, Evan. Um, we uh, definitely, I think I read a tweet, North Carolina second in a Kokoros reporter. So that's pretty cool. And I know South Carolina is up there as well. So um, the Carolinas representing um, really well. So uh, anybody have anything else before we uh, kind of close up shop tonight? All right. All right. So I appreciate uh, you guys watching tonight. We hope that you uh, stay safe out there. Um, continue to, uh, to practice those best practices of social distancing and kind of just staying inside. Eventually, hopefully sooner rather than later, we'll get back to, uh, to normalcy and uh, be able to uh, enjoy what we couldn't, what we've not been able to enjoy for the last three weeks. So uh, we're thinking about everyone. We hope that you stay safe out there. We appreciate you watching the Carolina Weather Group tonight. Uh, be sure to follow Ryan and his folks if you're ever out in the uh, Arkansas area. Ryan, once again, great coverage. Um, Thank you. this weekend from, for you and your team out there. Um, spectacular. And uh, we hope that everyone in your community uh, will get uh, back to normalcy with, with the cleanup from the, the tornado and uh, we extend our thoughts and prayers to your folks out there as well. So um, we hope you all have a great week and we'll see you back here next week for another episode of the Carolina Weather Group.